Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series, The Not Commandments, Part 1, Unhitched, featuring Michael Davis. Well, we are so glad that you guys are here, and I'm Michael, one of the pastors here. And a couple years ago, I had a question that I really wanted to answer. And so I kind of went on a journey. And the question was this. The question was, why wouldn't anyone want to be a Christian? Like, why wouldn't anyone want to be a Christian? Why, why aren't people just lining up, just trying to get into the church, try, trying to get to Jesus because they just, they so desperately want to be a Christian? And so I kind of went on a journey, and I, I, I did a lot of studying. I did a lot of reading. To be honest with you, I studied atheism. I wanted to understand how somebody became an atheist. And so I read books about pastors who, you know, had been ordained and been pastors for many years who had become atheists. And I read their story, and I read their journey. I, I read books by Richard Hawkins and, and, and books like Growing Out, Outgrowing God and things like that. And I sat down, and I talked to people, and I, I listened to people. I sat down with people who grew up in church, grew up going to church every single Sunday as a kid, but then left the faith when they, you know, got to college, or they got in their 20s, or once they got married. And I listened to their story. And I found some some common trends. The first trend that I found was people left the faith because they had a bad experience with the church. Somebody came up and said something to them. It was a pastor. It was a board member. It was a Sunday school teacher named Karen. It was somebody who came up to them and just said something judgmental or something came out wrong and it offended them or it upset them. And so they just decided, I am out. And I, I, I get that. I, I, I can empathize with that. And I understand that. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I, saw, I met a lot of bad church people. And I, li- I met a lot of mean, angry board members. I mean, I've seen that. And so I get that. However, here's the thing. That still doesn't make sense to me because I still don't understand why you left the faith just because of a bad church experience. I, I, I'll just be blunt with you. That's a bad reason to leave the faith. I mean, you didn't give up on haircuts when you had a bad experience with that barber, did you? Right? You, you found a different barber is what you did, right? You didn't give up on haircuts. I mean, you didn't stop eating out at restaurants just because you had a bad experience at a restaurant. No, sometimes you even went back to that restaurant and just gave it a, a, a different, you know, a different go. Or you just, you went to a different restaurant altogether. But you, did, you didn't give up on eating out, Right? I mean, nobody here found their spouse on the first date, right? I don't think. We don't have any core in, in Topanga's here, do we? I mean, you didn't just give up on dating because you had a bad date. I mean, some of you should have, but, you know, you didn't give up on it. You kept going. And here's the thing. When it comes to the Christian faith, you should never give up on the Christian faith because you had a bad experience at church. If no one ever told you, or if you went in with different expectations, this is an imperfect place filled with imperfect people. Amen? And so we're going to have some some run-ins. We're going to have some disagreements. We're going to have some arguments. What's important is how we handle those tensions, how we handle those times. But we don't just give up and walk out on the Christian faith just because we had a bad church experience. No, that's silly. It's a terrible reason to leave the Christian faith. 
Now, there's another one I found that was very common, especially within atheists. And the other hang-up that people had was the Bible. The Bible. When they looked at the Bible, you know, this, this living Word of God as we talk about it, they just could not jump on board or they had to jump off board with something that allowed, you know, so much racism. And I mean, if they look at the Old Testament, there's racism, there's genocide, you know, there, there's murder, there's, there, there's terrible things and there's, there's, there's just all these nasty parts. And then there's dates that don't line up in history and stuff. And so I met a lot of people, read a lot of books of people like, look, I can't be a Christian. I can't be a part of this faith because this Bible is just so full of stuff that I don't agree with, stuff I don't want to be a part of, stuff I don't want to associate with. And again, I can empathize with that. I understand that. Even when I started to dive into some things and read some books, I was like, wow, I, yeah, man, that, that even bothers me. I mean, that's a, that's a really big deal. But here's what I want to tell you that maybe nobody else has ever told you. And this may come off a little bit offensive to some Christians in the room, but it needs to be said. The church has done a poor job of communicating the foundation of our faith. For, for decades... For a very long time, the church has done a very poor job of communicating the foundation of our faith. And here's the thing. I get how people can get there because even growing up as a pastor's kid, I remember learning a song. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And I remember that. And I mean... The song says it, right? We stand alone. Nothing else. We stand alone on the Word of God. And this, again, might come off as offensive, but I want you to hang with me. If you've been here for over a year, you've heard me say this before, and you've already sent me emails, so don't send me any more. But here's what you need to understand. The foundation of our faith is not a book. It's in an event. Now, that may come off cross weird. Not just hang on with me. Hold on tight, okay? But seriously, the foundation of our faith is not in a book, it is in an event. The Bible documents what happened, it doesn't determine what happened. Okay? The Bible documents us, tells us about it, but it doesn't prove that it actually happened. I'll give you a perfect example right now. Everybody here has a birth certificate, right? If I took your birth certificate, and I took it, and I tore it up, and I said, well, that's gone, and I threw it in the trash, does that determine your existence, or does it document your existence? It documents it, right? doesn't determine it. You're still here. You're still standing in front of me. You're still a person. You still have your name. You're still you. And you have plenty of other people who have met you or associated with you who can prove that you are who you say you are, right? And it's the same way with the Bible. The Bible documents what happened. It doesn't prove its existence at all. And here's the thing that many of us don't know. See, you and I, when we were handed our Bible, when we were handed our B-I-B-L-E, we were handed it to us so nicely, all bound together with the Old Testament and the New Testament and all these chapters and everything lined out and everything else. And when we were given that Bible all put together, we gave it all equal theological value. And we were never supposed to. Because here's the thing. For hundreds and hundreds of years, for generation after generation of generation, Christianity didn't even have a Bible. Christianity didn't have a New Testament. Christianity didn't have letters from Paul. Christianity, all they had 
We're stories. We're testimonies of an event that a man claimed to be the Son of God and predicted his own death and resurrection, and it turned out he was right. And they lived and they breathed and they put their faith in not a document, but in a event. And it required faith and it required trust that was so unrealistic and so unexpected that it actually caught fire and worked. Worked better than even anything we have today. And it was okay. The thing that we have to understand is that our faith doesn't stand on a book. It stands in an event. And that event specifically, more than anything else, is what our faith is surrounded around. And the thing we have to understand, too, is that when we were given that Bible, all bound together, all old and new, and everything looking even, we have to understand that there are parts of that book that are not applicable to us. There are commands and there are verses and there are things that were said to certain people for certain reasons, for certain times. And they were not ever intended to be essentials to our faith. But yet we have taken so much of it and used it for our own good. We've put it on plaques and we've put it on boards and we buy it at Hobby Lobby because it looks beautiful and it suits us and it fits what we want to believe. But the truth is, is that there is a lot of context in that book. And there are a lot of verses we don't read. There are a lot of things when we say, Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, we don't continue on reading that also those people are going to be uh, in captivity for 72 years. We forget that part, right? But, oh, for I know the plans I have for you. I mean, we misuse it for our own beliefs, for what we want to see happen. And so here's the thing, I want, somebody's got to hear this, and somebody, somebody this is going to be good news to them, is that the thing is, is that if you're getting hung up on the Bible, that's okay. Because here's the thing, if you're like, well, I can't be a Christian because I don't believe the world was created in six days, I would say, I really don't care. It's not essential that you believe, I believe, but it's just okay if you don't believe that the, that the world was created in six days. If you don't want to believe that, it's okay. And I'll get to why that's so important in a little bit. But that's okay. Because the most important thing you need to understand, the most important thing you need to have to wrap your heart around is the event. Is that there is a Savior. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whomever shall believe in him shall have eternal life. Period. And you are saved by grace, and you are saved through a relationship with you. So if you have a problem with all that other stuff, or those dates don't match up, and that really bothers you, that's okay. Let's focus on this, because this is what is essential to our faith. So don't get hung up on that. That's okay. So see, right there, I've eliminated probably the two biggest reasons why people leave the Christian faith. The Bible, and the people who are in the church. So forget those people, and forget that, and let's focus on what is essential because when they focused on what was essential the church blew up the church was on fire it was unstoppable and people couldn't even understand it and i believe that if we did understand it that the church could catch fire again because the amazing thing about a relationship with jesus and i know this and some of you have learned this and some of you have witnessed this is that the is that the relationship with jesus is so important because here's the thing that jesus does jesus makes you better at life and makes your life better he does 
Did you know like it's even been proven? Like now we have data, okay? COVID has proven that being a follower of Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. They did a Gallup poll on people's mental health. And what they did was is they, they checked in. They do this every single year. They check in on the quality of people's mental health. And so what they did was is they asked everybody, and they found that one group, one group during this pandemic, their mental health actually improved. And do you know who that one group was? Christians. Last year in 2019, they polled people, and Christians, Christians uh, said that 42% of them said that their mental health was good. This year, at the end of this year, 40 46% of Christians said that their mental health has improved. That's up Four percentage points. However, the rest of the world, people who have no religious affiliation, last year 43% of them reported that their mental health was stable, was good, they felt healthy. And this year 34% of people have said that their mental health is in a good place. Decreased from 43% to 34%. Yet Christians have gone from 42% to 46%. Christians are handling the times that we are in better than anyone else. And I'm not talking about the fake Christians you see on the news. I'm talking about the real ones. Following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And so we need to understand the basis of our Christian faith. We need to understand the foundation of our Christian faith, where it came from. If it wasn't built on, if it didn't stand alone on the Bible... And there was a point in time where it was dangerous to be a Christian. It was a stupid decision to be a Christian. And under that time and in that context, the church was on fire and greater than ever. And and people didn't run from the faith. They ran towards the faith. What was so different? What is it that they understood that we did not? And that's what I want to talk about. Because the Christian faith in the first century was an anomaly that nobody could understand. Nobody understood. Even today, historians don't understand why the church blew up like the church blew up. Why Christianity was so attractive to people. You look at different points in history. You look at a a guy like Tertullian. Tertullian, he was a Roman centurion's son. And he got saved about the age of 40. And this is what he said. He documented those times and he said, here's what I remember. He said, if the Tiber rises too high or the Nile too low, those are rivers. The remedy is always feeding Christians to the lions. He said, man, I remember that first century where, you know, Christianity was blowing up uh, with the time that I got saved. I mean, I remember if things were going wrong in the world, everybody thought, well, we got to kill a Christian. Everybody thought, I mean, if something was wrong with the economy, something was wrong with the crops, something was wrong with the harvest, they thought the gods, the Greek gods, they must be angry. The gods are angry with us, so we we need to kill a Christian because these Christians, they're so counter to the gods, the pagan gods that we worship. And so they would, they would kill a Christian. Christians were rounded up. Christians were thrown in the Colosseum and killed for people's entertainment. They went after Christianity. So why in the world was Christianity rising so quickly? I mean, historians, honest ones, can't even deny that Christian had caught fire. That people were embracing Christianity at a rapid pace. And let me, let, me, let me help you understand just a little bit and just kind of compare it to our context today. There was a point in time in history where the government was against Christianity. There was no Christian president. There was no Christianity in the schools. 
There was no Bible, and there was no church building to meet in. And it was dangerous to be a Christian. It was a life sentence to be a Christian, and yet Christianity couldn't be stopped. Are you still worried about who's in the White House? Are you still worried about who you voted for? Because there was a time in history, back in the good old days, where Christianity was at its best, and it didn't have any of the things we're worried about today. Even the honest historians, they'll talk about it. Uh, Karen, Karen Armstrong, she wrote a book called The Violence and History of Religions. And she wrote a, a fascinating book that looks at every single religion and the violence that was in the culture, the violence that surrounded that religion. And she even admits this. She says this. She says, yet against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. We still do not really understand how this came about because it didn't make any sense why anyone would be a Christian because it was so dangerous but good news is I know why and that's what I want to talk to you about today and for those of you who have left the Christian faith for those of you who have been on the fence about Christianity for those of you who have left the faith because of a bad experience or because of what's in the Old Testament in the Bible or who just kind of got burnt out or honestly just gave up I want to invite you back today. And I want to explain to you the real foundation of the Christian faith and what is essential to it. And then for those of you who have grown up in the church, who have been Christians for a long time, I want to reinforce your foundation. Because there are things that we sometimes get hung up, sometimes things we make important that aren't important at all. And I want to reinforce where the foundation of your faith and where it comes from today. So here's where we are. Jesus came. He predicted his, his death and his resurrection. And everything happened just like he said. He died for our sins. Three days later, everybody had given up on him. Everybody had gone home. Nobody believed he was coming back, even though he told everybody he was coming back. And then the stone is rolled. Jesus comes out. Ta-da! I told you guys, you should have believed me. You're all a bunch of morons. And everybody's back on board. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he stays for a little bit with his disciples. Then he ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down, and things are just catching fire. And everybody goes out and starts telling what they had heard. Again, there's no documents. There's no letters. None of that is put together yet. All they are doing is going around and saying, this is what we saw and heard. you got to get on board. And they did. And so what happens is, is there's two groups. There's one group of, 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 of Jews, and then remember, everybody's Jewish at this point, okay? Everybody's, everybody's a Jew, because Jesus was a Jew, whole Old Testament, ancient Judaism, everybody's a Jew. There's one group of Jews that go, how in the world did we miss this? We really screwed up. I mean, I... How did we miss this? And so they go into their study, and they go through the Old Testament trying to find Jesus. They're like, we should have seen this coming. I don't know how in the world we didn't. We need to put this all together. We need to understand it. And so they go into their study, and they're trying to put this all together and understand it. Group two, mainly the apostles and Paul and Barnabas and all of those people, they go, 
That's fantastic. Good for you guys. You guys go read your books. We're going to go get the word out about this. And so they go out and they're like, we got to tell everybody we can find about this. And specifically, what God starts to call them to is Gentiles. Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, we use that word a lot. You probably heard that word a lot. All a Gentile means is it's a non-Jew. Okay? So Gentile could mean a lot of different things, but it's basically somebody who's not a Jew. So guess what you are? You're a Gentile. I mean, I shouldn't assume. Some of you may be Jews here. Welcome to service. But most of you are Gentile, okay? Most of you are Gentiles. So you're a Gentile. You're just like these people. And so the apostles start getting called to share the gospel with Gentiles for the first time. And guess what? It's so weird to them. It's so countercultural. I mean, this is like a race mixing with another race for the first time. And all of a sudden, these Gentiles are making the decision to follow Jesus. It's incredible. They're following Jesus. They're making commitments. They're wanting to get baptized. They're joining the church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a group of believers together. And they're Christian. But there's a big, big, big problem. These Gentiles don't look nothing like a Jew. They're not circumcised. If you want to know what that's like, Google it in your phone real quick. Just don't use the church's internet. They're not circumcised, okay? They're not circumcised. They have these pagan homes that are just full of pagan paraphernalia, okay? I mean, they got Greek stuff and, 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 and pagan God stuff. They got rated R movies. They got video games. Their kids are wearing, wearing Harry Potter. I mean, there's all kinds of pagan paraphernalia all over the spot. They don't, they don't look Jew. They don't sound Jew. They don't eat like a Jew. They didn't follow any of the Jewish dietary laws. So these guys are eating bacon every morning, right? And it's driving the apostles nuts. Every morning, the Gentiles show up with coffee and bacon and pork and sugar fire. And they're like, oh my gosh, we, what are we going to do? They've got tattoos that aren't coming off. They've colored their hair. They've got piercings. They've got all kinds of Gentile issues. So the Jews go, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles? I mean, at this point, we might as well just bulldoze their home. There's so much pagan paraphernalia around here. What are we going to do with them? So they go back and they say, we got to make a decision about this. And the group one, the Jews, right? The people who went back and studied the Old Testament. They said, well, guess what? While we were in our study, we found Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. Like everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. The whole journey of Abraham was not to get us to the promised land. It was all pointing to Jesus all along. Like this was, this was here for a reason. So they're like, look, Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. Therefore, we need to adopt the theology of the Old Testament and attach it to this new we need to hitch the old onto the new, and all of these Gentiles who are turning over to Christianity, they need to become Jewish. They need to convert over, because Jesus was a Jew, and this is our Jewish text, and Jesus is in our Jewish text, and so every Gentile needs to become Jew. Now remember, this was a huge deal. Huge deal. Huge inconvenience. These Gentiles aren't circumcised. They got tattoos. They got pagan homes. They got all kinds of issues. And then all of a sudden the Jews are like, to be a Christian, you've got to jump on board with us. Whew. That's going to be tough. That's going to be really, really, really hard. So what do they do? They do what everybody does. They call a church meeting. Okay? Very first church meeting. Yeah, we got a problem. We got to deal with these Gentiles 
we got to call a church meeting. So they call a church meeting called the Council of Jerusalem. Very first church meeting. And so much hung in the balance in this meeting. And so they all get together, and it's found in Acts, known as the Acts of the Apostles. And just to give you some context, this, is about, this takes place in about 50 A.D., okay? 50 A.D., 20 years after Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended. So 20 years have passed. So think of all the people in 20 years that have been converted over to Christianity. Think about how many Gentiles had made the decision to follow Jesus. I mean, we're not talking about affecting 30 people's lives. We're talking about thousands of people hanging in the balance and future generations beyond. So here we are 20 years later, 50 AD, and they call this meeting. And there's one question on the agenda. Do non-Jews, Gentiles, have to become Jewish to follow Jesus? That's it. Short agenda, long meeting. And so they come together and they talk. And this is what it says in Acts 15.1. In Acts 15.1 it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So, Jewish pastors were going around to Gentiles, going, yeah, you guys should join Christianity. However, you ain't a Christian unless you get circumcised, so get your surgery done. They were saying you got to be a Jew in order to be a Christian. So they call this council together and everybody gets together. And just imagine for a minute how big a deal this is. I mean, think about determining what they decided. I mean, this could have affected the Billy Graham crusade in a whole different way, right? I mean, think about just for a minute. Some of you guys, you grew up going to teen camp, right? Everybody remembers teen camp. Everybody remembers what Thursday night. I used to call it the Thursday night delight, right? Thursday night, they open up those altars. Everybody goes down with their girlfriend, right? I mean, your girlfriend is dragging you down to the altar. Everybody's getting saved on Thursday night, right? So just imagine for a minute, you're coming home from teen camp. Your parents call you. They go, hey, son, how was teen camp? I go, great, mom. I got saved at teen camp last night. My surgery's Monday, you know? I mean, this is like, this is a huge, huge deal, right? There's a lot on the line here. And so they get together and they have this meeting. And then in verse 2, this is what it says. It says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas are there. The apostles are there. There's a lot of different people there. And Paul and Barnabas, they had reached a lot of Gentiles in, in, in different places. And so they come in and they're like, guys, you've you got to hear what's going on. I mean, we're, we'll, we'll give a testimony here. I'm telling you, it's going really, really, really well. We are reaching people. We are, we are touching people's lives. These Gentiles, it's a real deal. And then the next verse, in, in verse 4, it says, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything had, God had done through them. So they had a really good report. And they're like, we're telling you, these Gentiles, it's the real deal. They are, they are wholeheartedly wanting to follow Jesus with all their hearts. So Paul and Barnabas, they give their report, and then they sit down. And then up stands Peter, right? And Peter, man, you remember how much Peter screwed up. But at this point, dude, we're talking Peter. Peter is the man, okay? He is the stone-cold Steve Austin of the apostles. He is the man. He's getting everybody saved. He's not the screw-up he was before. Everybody takes Peter seriously. Everybody listens to Peter. So Peter stands up. And so it says next, 
says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, here's what's so cool. we got to pause for a minute because Peter's about to get up and he's about to say his thing. But these, these guys came in and they kind of you know, swept in and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is a big deal. But I want you to know something because if you read this before, you might have missed this. And this is fascinating to me, okay? It says, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisees? Do you remember just a couple, like a book earlier? Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the bad guys. The Pharisees killed Jesus. The Pharisees were the one who were always at Jesus' teachings going, man, what you doing over there with all those sinners, man? You were messing up the law, and they were so angry. I mean, these are the bad guys. This is, they're the Cobra Kai of the Bible, okay? They're the empire. They're House of Slytherin. They're the Klingons. They're the bad guys. And they got invited to a meeting about this? What in the world? Just, I mean, just for a minute, just think. Did, did anybody ever read this and go, wait a minute, what happened? I thought these were the bad guys. How'd they get invited to the meeting? What had happened is Pharisees had begun to follow Jesus. Think about that for a minute. How in the world did the bad guys, did the villains turn to Christianity? Was it because they read a book? No, they knew the book better than anybody. And that didn't matter. Was it the miracles that Jesus performed? Nope. They witnessed those too. Didn't make a difference. What changed the Pharisees' mind about Jesus is the event that took place on the cross and in the tomb. And when they heard that the man that they had orchestrated to kill rose from the dead three days later, not even they could deny who Jesus actually was. And think about this for just a minute. This is so important for today. The Pharisees, the bad guys, the one that killed our beloved Jesus turned to Christianity and came to the apostles and said, we would like to join you. And they welcomed them with open arms. They said, come on board. You're forgiven. And not only, here's what's amazing. This is so important to church culture. Not only did they forgive the Pharisees, but then they put them in a leadership position. They said, join our council. Join our team. We need you. Talk about grace, right? Talk about mercy. Talk about forgiveness. So they're there, but they're still morons because they think that every Gentile has to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. So we're glad they're there, but they're stupid. So anyway, they stand up and they're like, everybody needs to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Then it says next, It goes on and says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. So he stands up, and then this is what Peter says. Peter says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So if you read five chapters earlier in Acts, Peter is called by God to go to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius is a Gentile, and he's very, very, very worried about this and has these dreams and everything else. But he goes to Cornelius' house. It's the first time he's ever stepped foot in a Gentile's house. 
and he's very, very reserved. He's very hesitant about this because this guy's a Gentile. And all of a sudden, Cornelius wants to know about Christianity. Cornelius wants to know about God and Jesus. And Peter shares the gospel with him, and all these Gentiles get saved. And so Peter's like, look, you know, you know where, how reserved I was. But you heard how I got called to Cornelius' house, and you know that God showed up in that moment. And then it goes on next. It says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? He goes, all right, all right, let's be honest with each other, okay? Yeah, you remember all those 613 laws that we were supposed to follow? You remember all these dietary restrictions? You remember all these different things that we were all trying to do? Do you remember how hard that was to keep? I mean, do you remember having to go to church every Sunday? And not just having to go to church, but having to go to Sunday school. Do you remember when you had to get your kids together? You had to get your, well, let's see, uh, in in the Seegers uh, situation, like five kids, all right? Remember when we had to get our five kids in the van? We had to get them all dressed. And we had to show up at church at like 8 o'clock for like 30 minutes of fellowship. And then we had Sunday school. And we had to sit in a Sunday school classroom. And we had to listen to Sunday school teacher. And then we had 30 minutes of fellowship after that. And then we sat in church. Remember when we were in church for like six hours on a Sunday morning? And then we had to go back for Sunday night service. And then we had to be there for Wednesday night Bible. Do you remember how insane and hard that was? You remember that? Do you think we're going to be able to put that on new believers and them have to follow it? Do you remember all the laws we had to follow? You remember when they told us we couldn't dance, we couldn't go see movies, and we couldn't smoke or chew or date girls that do? You remember how many rules there were? How many classes there were to take? You had to go to Bible quizzing, and you had to do that. Man, just, just a lot, man. You remember all of these things? I'm sorry, I'm like going back and forth between different timelines in life. But anyway, you remember how tough that was? And he says to him in this verse, he says, do you really want to put that on the necks of new believers? You want to put that yoke on them? A yoke that we couldn't even keep? We grew up in the church. We grew up in the faith. We grew up Jew. Do you think you're really going to be able to put that on a new 30-year-old family and they're going to be successful with it? We couldn't even do it. And not only could we not do it, but do you remember how hard it was? Did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy the ancient temple system? Did you enjoy having to do those things? And he says next, he says, so, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter's point was this, just because we jump through these hoops doesn't mean everybody else has to jump through these hoops. You didn't even like jumping through those hoops. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the old way of doing things and all these rules and all these things trying to fit this perfect mold was impossible. And there's no reason why we should put that on the back of new believers. There's no reason just because we did it that they have to do it too. And if we put this on the back of these Gentiles, if we put uh, put this on the back of new believers, they will give up on the faith because we almost gave up too. So he says, why would we do that? After all, they're not saved by the law. They're saved by grace. They're saved through a relationship with Jesus. So let's not put that on the back of new 
believers. Let's not put them through it. So Peter sits down, and he gets done. And then, guess who stands up next? It's James, right? So then James stands up, and James is the brother of Jesus. And so James, he again was not a follower of Christ until after the resurrection. I mean, when he was growing up with Jesus, and Jesus said, yeah, I'm the son of God, I'm a pretty big deal, you know, James was a brother. He's like, shut up, Jesus, you know what I mean? He's like, you ain't better than me, you know, I'll punch you, you know? So they were not, he wasn't a follower. But then when he saw his brother die on a cross, and three days later, he was alive again. He's like, hey, brother, uh, I love you, man. Um, yeah, remember all that bullying, that swirly I gave you when we were kids? I was just kidding. Please don't smite me. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden, James is a believer. Imagine that, okay? So he's a believer, and he's taken very, very seriously in, in the church. He actually was placed in Jerusalem, one of the most important places and one of the most places we could have a, a church. And he becomes like that church's leader, okay? So he's in Jerusalem. Everybody takes him serious, and he stands up. And he says something so very important, so very powerful. And everybody is just kind of waiting to hear what he's going to say. And when he says what he says, it's so important to, to even our context today. And, and, and this is a verse that's become so special to me over the years. As I've gone through this journey and as I've thought about these things and asked these questions, it was this story and this verse specifically that changed my mind about so many things that shaped Anchored Hope Church. And it was, it was this verse and what James stands up and says that creates the context that we are in today. This, like, this is the reason, if you like our church, a church that isn't like you know, that isn't for people, for people that don't like church. This is the reason why. It's because of this right here. And I'm telling you, if you ever make it to like my funeral, I want it to be all about this verse, okay? This verse hangs up in our meeting room upstairs. It's what we filter every decision through. This verse is uh, tattooed on my body, on my arm. It's the only scripture verse that is. And if you ever make it to my funeral, number one, I just want to be buried in a black hoodie, a black anchored hope hat, and black sweatpants, okay? Second of all, everybody gets a Funko Pop. And uh, third of all, please make sure that Kate doesn't remarry. Um, but <laughs> th this verse is, is the crux of It's everything everything to me. And it's the reason why so many of you like our church. It's the reason that when we gather together, there are not just Christians, but there are not yet Christians, and there are atheists, and there are homosexuals, and there are addicts, and there are people who want to believe, but aren't sure they do believe. There are people who have had poor church experiences and been terribly hurt who have come back to the faith. It hinges on this verse here. And so James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. And everybody is listening and everybody is paying attention. And he says this, It is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult. Let's not make it hard. Let's remove every hoop, every class, every burden, every 
clothing restriction, every rule, everything we tell people they need to do in order to come to church, and let's just scrap everything that doesn't matter. Everything that's not essential, let's get it off of the table and make it as easy as possible for those who are turning to Christ. Wow, that is powerful. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. And so they stand up and they go, so what are we going to do? And they go, well, we should write a letter. We need to write a letter. We need to tell everybody. Everybody's waiting. Every Gentile, every church, every body of believers is waiting to hear what in the world we're going to decide at this meeting. So they say, well, let's write a letter. Okay, let's send it out to people. And so they decide to write this letter. And so at the beginning of it, this is what it says. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. We need to tell them that. We need to write them this letter. So they okay, let's get together. Let's write this letter. So it goes on, and it says in this next verse, it says, With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. All right, and then it goes on. It says, Greetings. We have heard that some of you, some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So they said, hey, we had some people going out, telling everybody you had to become a Jew to, you know, be a Christian, told you had to be circumcised and all this stuff. Sorry that we disturbed you. Sorry that we upset you. You know, they, you know, we fired them. They're done. And uh, we we just want to let you know what the essentials are. These are the important things that we want you to understand. And so just imagine for a minute the context, right? I mean, every Gentile's at home waiting to get this letter, waiting to find out what in the world was decided at this council meeting. And I mean, you can just imagine how the guys must have felt. I mean, everybody's sitting at home, and all the dads are like, oh, let's pray about this meeting. Lord Jesus, whew, you know what's going to happen to me and my home if this goes through. Be with them right now. I mean, they're praying hard. This is going to determine a lot of different things. But here's the thing you need to understand. Not only did it determine a lot for them, it determined a lot for you. You hang in the balance of this meeting and what this letter says. Because if it just, whatever it says is what we would have even adopted today as a Christian church. So a lot of us all hung in the balance of this meeting. So the letter goes on. And it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So here we go. We're going to get to the list of rules. These are the essentials of the faith outside of the teachings of Jesus. So outside of Jesus, this is what you need to worry about. And it says, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Now it explains later why these things are here. Some of you are probably going, why in the world are the dietary restrictions still in there? The reason is because the dietary restrictions were a huge deal to the Jews. And so, in their minds, they're trying to keep the peace, okay? So they say to the Gentiles, look, when you're around a Jew, stop eating pork, okay? Like, don't tick off the Jews and, like, go around and, like, fling bacon in their face and be like, I'm a Christian too, and you can't eat this, all right? They're like, look, just... Please, when you're, around, when you're around the Jews, go along with the same dietary restrictions. Go along with the same customs. 
just so we can all get along and be a happy family, okay? Then when it came to the sexual morality, what they were talking about is they, what they wanted to make known is don't let Gentiles sleep with Jews, and Jews ain't going to sleep with Gentiles. They were not to the point yet where they were ready to mix their races, okay? So they said, look, let's again keep the peace. There's a lot of old school people here. There's a lot of Jew daddies who don't want a Jew father-in-law or a Gentile father-in-law, okay? Walking in with his tattoos and his piercings with his little Jewish girl, okay? We don't want that yet. We're not there yet. We're not woke yet. Let's wait till 2020, and then we can start mixing that stuff up, all right? So here's the deal. When you're around a Jew, Gentiles, please eat like the Jews do, and let's not all sleep with each other, okay? Let's keep Gentile girls with Gentile boys and Jew boys with Jew girls, okay? So, there we are so far, all right? This is the list of requirements. So, all the Gentiles are at home, and they're reading this letter, and going, yeah, okay, all right, cool. Son, stop flirting with that Jewish girl across the street, okay? All right, we're good. We're there so far. So, that's where we are. Now, what's going to come up next? Maybe the laws. Maybe dad's getting circumcised. Maybe we're going to have to start hiding our tattoos. Maybe, you know, I don't know what it is. Well, here's what comes up next. You would do well to avoid these things. Farewell. It's in the Bible. I'm not making that up. It sounds like I made it up, but I'm not. You would do well to avoid these things. Bye-bye. That's what it said. That's it. Wait a minute. No circumcision? Thank the Lord. No, 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 no removing things from our house? No, no stopping, no, no, none of the laws, not even the 10. What about the 10? No, not even the 10. Really, not even the big 10. Okay. Nothing else was essential to the faith outside of Jesus and these things so that neighbors could get along. That's it. Think about that for a minute. Think about how powerful that was. Think about how big of a deal that that was. And do you know what happened? Do you know what the Gentiles' response was? It says next, it says, The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. And you know, the incredible thing is, what was so important in this moment, is it was so important that on that day they decided that ancient Judaism did not have to be an essential part of the Christian faith. Because just as Jesus uh, predicted would happen, uh, told everybody that would happen, in 70 A.D. the Roman Empire came and destroyed the Jewish temple. And from that point on, in 70 A.D., ancient Judaism ceased to almost exist. And in that moment, if they had decided at the Jerusalem Council that you had to, in order to be a Christian, you had to be a part of ancient Judaism and you had to be a part of the temple system, that day when the Romans took down the temple, Christianity would have died right then. But it didn't. Because it wasn't hitched to the old. It wasn't hitched to the temple. It wasn't hitched to the sacrificial system. It was only hitched to Jesus. Period. And that is why you are a Christian today. And that is where your faith comes from. And that is why the new that Jesus came and ushered in is so important. Because for the first century Christians, All they had was the gospel story of Jesus' death and resurrection and a handful of unrealistic commands that he wrote down. That was it. 
And he issued some commands that were so crazy, so unrealistic, so such high standards, so much even farther beyond of what the old covenants and old commands required. But yet people still ran to the Christian faith. And I want to give you a, a preview of some of those commands. He, he gave commands like, fear not, doubt not, worry not. And over the next five weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the unrealistic commands that the first generation Christians had that they clung on to, that were so unrealistic and so impossible, yet changed their lives and changed the world. And how, how important are these commands here today? Because how many of us, in the times we are in, are doubting and fearing and worrying. And there's two more that I'm not going to tell you because they're a surprise. But it was through this that the world changed. And here's the thing. When you're so convinced that your Savior was raised from the dead, you tend to follow. And even though things may be impossible and things may be so hard around you, you still go. And you still follow and you still keep your faith. Would you like to learn how to do that? I think for somebody who's watching or listening or here today, they've left the Christian faith because of a bad experience or because of something that was in the Bible, something that wasn't even essential or that big a deal. Something that they got hung up on that was outside of Jesus. Look, you don't need to get hung up on that. What is so important is that you put your faith in Jesus. And there is a lot of things to unpack from Jesus' teachings, a lot of things that Jesus showed us that we have to live out, that we, that we have to do. But outside of your faith in that relationship, there are things that have been put on you as burdens that have been put on your back that never needed to be put on your back. And our church here at Anchored Hope, we are constantly trying trying to remove every obstacle that may be, have been put in place that's between you and Jesus. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to follow Jesus. And all you have to do in order to do that is to just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. I believe that you sent your son to die for my sins and that three days later he rose again. In the same way he was resurrected from that grave, I want to be resurrected in my life. We want to make it as easy as possible for you. But you got to put your eyes on Jesus. So this morning I want to pray for you and our band's going to come back up. And we're going to go back into that song called Sinking Deep. But this morning, I don't, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've left the faith or you've, you've been on the fence. But, but I believe that if, if this is the essential of our faith, that Jesus is the essential, that even if you don't believe it's true, you're going to want it to be true. Because isn't what we need now in this world more than anything else is love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and acceptance. And I get there's going to be things we disagree on, things that some of us want to accept that we shouldn't accept, things that are counter to Jesus. But we can still love one another. We can still show each other grace. In a world that's so divided by so many lies and so much deceit, I think Jesus is calling us to be vessels of hope 
and peace. I think it's been shown and proven during this pandemic that Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And I think there are people who are wanting to live a life that's worry-free and doubt-free and fear-free because so much of what we have angst about is built on those things, is our worry, is our doubt, is our fear. And Jesus came to take that away. Jesus came to give us something else to replace those things with Him and His Spirit. And He wants to set us free from all of those burdens. But He didn't come with more burdens to put on top of those burdens. He came to take off the chains, to come alongside of us and to put the yoke not on our back but on His and to walk side by side with us through our life. He wants to give you that today. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray. And as we pray, this morning, I just want to invite you to give your life to Christ. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me and to invite Jesus into your life and to put your faith in Him and to follow Him into the uncertainty and into the unknown. Would you bow your head with me? Father God, This morning we hear your words. I thank you so much for preserving these stories. For us to be able to know what happened that day at the Jerusalem Council. God, I'm so thankful for you leading Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James. I'm so happy this morning that the decision was that we are saved by grace this morning and not by our works. I'm so thankful this morning, God, that The decision was that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to Christ. And God, I pray that you would be with our church. Would you help us to be a church that truly lives that out? But God, in my own personal life, for each of us who are here today, God, we just recommit our faith and our life to you. Jesus, I give you my life. I want to follow you. I have doubts and I have worries and I have fears and God I want to see those replaced with your life that you have to offer me God would you fill me up with grace and love and mercy would you not make give me a spirit of fear but would you give me a brave spirit would you give me a spirit of strength and wisdom and endurance like I've seen you do for so many others God would you lift me up and would you complete me would you make sure that there's nothing that I lack Would you make me into who you created me to be? Would you help me to reach my potential through you? Because God, I can't do this alone. It's only through your love, it's only through a relationship with you that I can break through these boundaries and these barriers that surround me in my life. So God, would you do something new in me? Would your grace and your mercy just wash over me today? Would it bring me out of the depths that I feel like I am sinking in? Would you do something holy in me? Would you make me more like your son, Jesus Christ? Because I want you and I need you in my life. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would like to support Anchored Hope, you can make a donation at anchoredhope.church forward slash give. To connect with someone from Anchored Hope, please go to anchoredhope.church forward slash hi. Thank you for listening and God bless.